Well, they packed a lot of explanation of that story into two minutes, didn't they? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on there that uh, I don't even need to explain anymore because of that. But there is something that they weren't able to put into that story. There is something that you could say that they missed or that just wouldn't fit. And the thing that wouldn't fit into that short video is the waiting that Joseph and his family endured through that season. Even that word, wait is a four-letter word, isn't it? It's a word that we don't like to use unless we're aiming it at our children. Would you just wait? But think about it. They missed the feeling of Joseph having to wait for 22 long years until the time he was reunited with his brothers. They missed the time that Joseph interpreted a dream in prison only to be forgotten by the man who had interpreted it for another two years. I bet those two years in prison probably felt like 22 years, didn't they? And they missed the suspense of the times Jacob had to wait for his sons to return while his sons went away probably for months at a time in the middle of famine to get grain, having no idea that his long-thought dead son would wind up being on the providing end of the story. The danger of condensing Scripture down to smaller, more memorable chunks in videos or books is that we miss the waiting that is found in almost every part of Scripture. Because even though we don't like it, the reality is is that the waiting is when God does His greatest work. Let me just say that again. The waiting is when God does His greatest work. Think about that the next time you have a longer than average wait in line at the store. Or a longer than average wait and some time to find a spouse. Or a longer than average wait until you find a better job. God does His greatest work in the waiting. Waiting is when God does His greatest work. And God's greatest works are almost always works of heart. And so while we talked about all the ways that God aligned what happened with Joseph today, while we talked about all those things, what I want to focus on in the message today is the work of heart that God did in and through Joseph. So let's talk about those works of heart. The first thing you'll probably notice uh, is that when Joseph was the youngest child, any of you the youngest child in the room? Anybody? All right, I got to watch what I say next. Um, the youngest child in this story was clearly the stereotypical youngest child. He was extremely spoiled. And as a result of that, Joseph became more than just a bit entitled. Those of you who are not the older, uh, those of you the older children are trying not to say amen at this point, aren't you? Here's what it says in Genesis 37. Now Israel, this is another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Some might even call this ornate robe an amazing technicolor dream coat. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and would not speak a kind word to him. 
Can you see yet where there is a need for some works of heart to be done? We see it in the hatred that they had towards their younger brother. But listen to what Joseph does in verse 5. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding up sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Well, that's one of those dreams that if you have it, you certainly don't share it with your older brothers, do you? It's a good way to get beat up or worse. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? You will actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So now we see Joseph as well as bringing a lot of this on himself. It doesn't justify what his brothers did, but it certainly does make it more understandable, doesn't it? Joseph had two of these dreams like this. We won't read the second one. But then his father went him to send him out to find his brothers. And so in verse 17, it says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. I think we've all thought about killing a sibling at one point or another, but they actually had a plan. This is not good. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Well, let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Just throw him in the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. Can you imagine Joseph even wearing this coat out to do shepherding duties with? (laughs) This fancy coat, it looks like, um, frankly, it looks like a pimp's coat, what he would have been wearing out there. And here he is. And it says they threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their their camels were loaded up with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's just sell him to the Ishmaelites, and we won't lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brother said, well, yeah, this is a lot better. Let's just beat him up and sell him as a slave and send him on his way. That'd be a lot better than killing him. And so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now you saw via the video how a lot of the rest of the story played out, but I can't help but emphasize that this story took place over the course of 22 long years. And I know the temptation is maybe I'll just hear a 22-minute sermon and my problems will be fixed. The reality is, is that a lot of the messes in our lives, they didn't happen overnight, and they're not going to heal overnight. It's going to take more time. It's going to take what feels like years in order to heal. Can God do an amazing work and heal overnight? Absolutely. Can He heal just like that? Absolutely. Does He choose to take more time often? Yes. Absolutely he does. 
And so as we look at this story, I want to take a look at what we're calling building block number three. If you have been reading along with us in the story, we are in chapter three this week. If you don't have your copy yet, please pick it up out there and read along with us. Um, We've distributed over 250 of these books, and we're really grateful to have you guys reading along with us in this journey. Building block number three is that God is a God of restoration. Our God is a restoring God. God longs to restore us. He longs to restore relationships. There will come a day when He restores all of creation, when He returns. And we look forward, and Romans even says that we long, all of creation is longing for that day when we are revealed, sons of God are revealed when Christ returns. We cannot wait. But here in this passage today, we look in, in particular how God can restore broken dreams. Only God can, you might hear that around here a little bit, only God can restore broken dreams to His dreams. You see, the problem here, though, is that God doesn't just need to restore a dream that's been broken. God needs to restore a dream that is broken. You see, it's been broken from day one. This wasn't that Joseph's brothers broke his dream. It's that Joseph's dream was broken in and of itself. Joseph wanted all of his brothers to bow down to him. He didn't see this as something, oh, maybe this is a way that God's going to use to save many people. Instead, what Joseph saw is this is a way where I'm going to have the fame and the honor from my brothers that I rightfully deserve. That, friends, is a broken dream. The problem is, is that we teach our children to dream broken dreams in our culture today. We are a land of great opportunity, which we are extremely thankful for. At the same time, what happens is that oftentimes our opportunity becomes idolatry, where we think if we have enough money or if we have enough stuff, if we have enough fame, enough notoriety, that somehow that will be enough. And the truth is, is it will never be enough. It will always leave us lacking. And so what I want to suggest to you this morning is that oftentimes God needs to break our dreams because the dreams that we have for ourselves are for ourselves. And as we learned last week, we are blessed not to be blessed, but we are blessed, why? To be a blessing. And so if we are going to be the type of people that God wants us to become, if we're going to become Christ-like, God has to crush our dreams first. Our dreams that are unholy, our dreams that are about ourselves, our dreams where maybe we see the gifts that we have, the talents we have, but we're trying to use our gifts for our own glory. Or the opportunities that we have and we try to hold on to them for our good rather than to use them to be a blessing. And so we talk about God being the dream breaker, but God has to be the dream breaker before He can be the dream maker. Parents, grandparents, I'm going to get after you for a little bit because I am one. Please stop telling your children they can become anything they want to be. When I was junior high, there were two things I wanted to be. One was a fighter pilot. The other was an NBA player. 
I was too tall to be a fighter pilot, and I was too short to be an NBA player. All right? There was nothing physically about me that was going to allow me to do either one. The reality is, is those dreams were not achievable for me. Physically speaking, there was no way I could work hard enough to be either one, and I could not certainly saw my legs off to become a fighter pilot to be short enough to be one, all right? There's a reason Tom Cruise starred in Top Gun, because he's like five foot four, and he could fit in a fighter jet, all right? I'm not jealous, but it is what it is. Here's what I think we should be teaching our kids. Rather than you can be anything you want to be, I think we should be teaching our kids you can be the one thing that God wants you to be. God has created you with a unique purpose, with a unique plan in mind, and that starts with being Christ-like. And as we grow within our Christ-likeness, He will reveal us to be and to be a person who can make a major impact and to be a blessing because the reality is, is the happiest people on the face of the earth are those who choose to be a blessing to others are those who choose to invest in the lives of others. And I tell you what, if you raise your kids up with an outward focus about how you can be a blessing to others, your kids will find a contentment that is in Christ that cannot be found in money or wealth or fame or anything else. And so let's start teaching our kids that they can be the one thing that God wants them to be, and that is more than enough takes the pressure off of our kids and lets them simply be God's children and walk with God in His direction. So let's talk about God's dreams. God's dreams for Joseph. What we see there are three things about God's dreams for Joseph. The first one is God wants to take Joseph from suffering to Christ-likeness. Jesus promises us that in this world we will have what? trouble. Joseph had plenty of it. Reality is, is that Joseph was sold into slavery twice and was in prison once for at least a couple of years, probably more like four. The Bible doesn't say about what happened while he was in prison, but my guess is that Joseph wasn't staying at club fed, all right? My guess is, is that Joseph was staying somewhere where rats nibbled on his toes while he tried to sleep at night. And yet, we don't know what happened here, but somehow we see that while Joseph was in prison, while he was a slave, that something happened to him. Something changed internally in him that helped him to become more Christ-like. Rather than looking out for himself, now he's matured and he's grown. And so I ask you today, what kind of prison are you in? Where does it feel like you've been locked up rather than set free? And while I hope that you get out of this situation, the reality is, is I believe God wants you to do more than get out of this situation. I believe God wants you to get something out of the situation that you are in. I believe that God wants to develop you and to teach you through this season. The reality is is that all of us right now are in this prison that is called COVID. We can't get out of it no matter how much we'd like to try. We're in the middle of a pandemic and it's dragged on now for a year and a half and chances are it's going to keep dragging on in some way, shape, or form for another year and a half. And that stinks. 
I don't like it any more than you do. But the reality is, is that we have to say, hey, how can I get something out of this? What is it that God is wanting to do in me through this season? And I believe that like Joseph, God wants to take our suffering and He wants to use it to help us to become more Christ-like. Number two, we see that Joseph went from bitterness to forgiveness. He went from bitter towards his brothers to choosing to forgive. Now, it doesn't actually ever say in the text that Joseph forgave his brothers, but what we see later on in the text in chapter 45 that I'll conclude with today is that clearly he did. Clearly he understood that they were younger, that they made bad mistakes, and that he needed to forgive them. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of forgiveness when he did nothing wrong. You could argue that Joseph had a role in how his brothers treated him. They shouldn't have done what they did, but they, he, he certainly gave them some justification, didn't he? Jesus gives us the ultimate example when he did nothing wrong, yet was crucified unjustly by his own people. What was his prayer? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the same way, we have to work to forgive others. I was on a call with some friends, some preacher friends the other day, and the issue of forgiveness came up. And somebody asked, if, do you still have people that you struggle to forgive? And do you know what immediately happened in my mind? Do you think that I started flashing through and thinking, huh, I'll have to think through this and see. Or do you think that the moment that they asked that question, my mind went back eight to nine years ago to someone who had hurt me? What do you think happened, A or B? B. Oh, you guys, I'm the preacher. You're supposed to say A. No, no, it was B. It was clearly B. Because that's what happens. Because forgiveness and healing take time. It's a journey. Yeah, we forgive and we find an immediate freedom. But the reality is, is we try to crawl back in that hole of unforgiveness from time to time, don't we? Sometimes it's just because we want somebody else to blame. Sometimes it's because we've been really, 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 really hurt. And it takes time. Somewhere in prison, though, Joseph knows. Joseph deals with this. And it doesn't talk about it, doesn't say it. But what we see is that coming out on the other side is that Joseph was a different man. Joseph was a different man. My guess is, is that I've been telling you this story. You've had some people pop in your mind. Some people that you'd rather not see again. Some people you just assume sell off like Joseph's brothers did to him. But you and I need to work through it. If we're to become Christ-like, the most important way to become like Christ-like is to forgive people who have hurt us. And that isn't easy, is it? It isn't easy, and it's hard work, and it's painful. And sometimes the biggest pain of it all is we have to dig through all the negative emotions that we have ourselves. But I'm telling you, forgiveness is worth it. There's a Croatian theologian by the name of Miroslav Volf. I will not repeat that name more than once. But he says this, To triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. 
man. That's what we see happening with Joseph, is when his brothers finally get to him, he is not acting as a bitter man anymore. He's acting as a man who has been set free, who understands God's perspective on things now. And so I want to challenge you today, where is it that you are tempted to infuse evil with new life? Because evil needs two victories, not one. Where is it where you are tempted to let evil live on by giving it a second wind? Don't do so. Joseph refused to infuse evil with new life, and instead he saved his family. And so the third dream that I can promise that God has for you, the first one from suffering to Christ-likeness, the second from bitterness to forgiveness, the third one is from selfishness to selflessness. Joseph recognized that he was there for God's purposes, not his own. He recognized that God had raised him up, not because he just wanted to bless him crazily, but because he wanted to save his entire family through him. Where is it at that you need to go from selfishness to selflessness? Where you need to go about being about yourself to about looking out for others? God did not put us in positions of responsibility so that we could get ahead. God put us in positions of responsibility so that we could help care for His creation and care for the people that are surrounded, surrounding us. And that is a shift in perspective from our culture, I know. But it's an important one that we see in Scripture. So how do we make this shift? How do we make this shift from suffering to Christ-like, from bitterness to forgiveness, and from selfishness to selflessness? I believe we need to change our perspective. I believe we need to go from our perspective to God's perspective. I ran across these uh, pictures this week. Uh, it was the Drone Awards, the Drone Picture Awards. And these were absolutely fascinating pictures that were all taken from drones. I think they ought to just call them the Dronies myself, um, but uh, they just call them the Drone Picture Awards. Uh, and sure enough, the one that won this year, the winner was this picture. And I looked at it and I thought, that is beautiful. It's, it's of these birds flying over. It's actually flying with the birds. And then I realized what kind of birds these are. They're geese. And if you've been around East Point long enough, you know that we hate geese around here. I mean, if, 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 if shooting them was legal, we would, we, would, we would have a heyday out here, wouldn't we? We would have goose stew. We'd have goose, whatever. We'd just have dead geese is what we'd have, all right? And then we'd have vultures eating the dead geese, and it'd be gross. But... I thought about this, and I thought about, man, what a difference the perspective is. When I see geese, it's normally, well, or geese remnants in the parking lot when I step in it, when I get out of my car, always on a Monday morning, of course. Check your shoes before you get in your vehicles, by the way. Those geese are nasty animals. But look at the difference perspective makes. Rather than being out there in the midst of them, when you take a more, a more upper perspective, I suppose you could say, all of a sudden this looks beautiful. And then, then the next picture, these are actually of, these are actually of sheep. And, and, and it's this beautiful picture of all these sheep arranged. And, and sheep, I don't, I don't hate them like I hate geese. In fact, they're quite tasty if you cook them right. Um, and they're quite warm if you harvest their, their, their fur, their, their wool fur, or whatever it is. I grew up on a farm, didn't I? Yeah. And, and so you see this, and, and, but then you realize, like, if you were down there in the midst of them, I bet they really stink, don't they? 
Uh, and then, then the next picture I really enjoyed, too. This is one of my old basketball days, you know. I really, really enjoyed this guy from directly overhead. And the shadow of the sun is casting this shadow that makes this, this kid who's, who's working on his jump shot look a lot older and a lot taller. It looks like Manute Bowl in that picture, doesn't he? He's tall. And then the next one, uh, you know, this, this turtle. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? Uh, such a different perspective. That turtle's just trying to get to the ocean. And we look at from above as a thing of beauty. So whose perspective do we have? Do we have an upper perspective that can see down and can realize that something bigger is going on in our lives? Or do we have a lower perspective that's just stuck in the mud and the stink and the goose poop? Joseph, we see in chapter 45, has switched to a heavenly focus. He switched to a heavenly perspective here. It says in verse 4, when he finally unveils himself to his brothers, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. He hadn't forgotten everything that they'd done to him, did he? But he still forgave him. If you think forgiveness is about forgetting, you've got a new lesson coming to you. Because you're going to remember some of the things that people have done to you your whole life. But you can still find forgiveness even though you remember them. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Did you hear that? He went from sold to sent. He realized that even in the midst of this, and, and I want to be clear here, this is in no way justifying slavery or anything else. Like that's some of the old school interpretations that were just dead wrong. I just want to be clear on that. But he understood here that he, was, he wasn't sold, he was sent. That God had worked through him here in order to bring him to this place where he could now save his family. And for two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh. I love this. Joseph is technically under Pharaoh, but he's like, I'm like Pharaoh's father. Like what I say goes in Pharaoh's household. Joseph is so wise in his ways. Lord of this entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me Lord or overseer of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Joseph recognizes that he is called here, that God has placed him here for a great purpose. And finally, in Genesis 50, 20, there's this great line that Joseph shares with his brothers when they're still questioning whether this is for real or not. Joseph says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Man, having God's perspective, even before you know how it's going to turn out, is going to be vital. The reality is, is that I believe you can have Joseph's perspective because of how God worked in Joseph's story. 
even now before everything works out in your situation. And I believe that because Jesus Christ had this perspective. Couldn't you say this verse about Jesus Christ as well? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. When Jesus' own people turned on him, when his disciples abandoned him, when he was forced to carry his own cross, a tool of Roman torture up a hill outside of Jerusalem and become the sacrifice, and yet he was there forgiving and blessing to his very last breath. They intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. What is now being done is the saving of you and me some 2,000 years later. Jesus trusted in the Father, even unto his death. And because of his resurrection, you and I can trust in the Father, even to our own death, even when things don't work out the way we'd like them to be. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph could say it, and Jesus could say it. The question I have for you today is, can you say it? Will you choose to say it today, even before you know how your story ends? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. May our lives sing that verse, even while we're in the midst of the trials. And may everyone around us know that our God is a restoring God, and that He takes broken dreams and makes them into ones that are whole and holy. Father, we trust in You we look to the cross of Jesus Christ and we acknowledge, Lord, that Jesus could have been bitter on that cross and yet He chose to offer forgiveness even to those who were crucifying Him. And we thank You for His example. Lord, we just recognize that we've got bitterness to work through. We've got stuff in our lives. We've got things that have happened to us. Some of them we brought on ourselves, but Lord, other ones we didn't have anything to do. It just happened. And we need to work through just like Joseph did. And Lord, we pray that you don't waste this time where we're in between. We pray that we wouldn't waste it, but that we would choose to let you do your work in us and through us as only you can do. God, you are a restoring God, and we praise you for that, and we thank you. And so now we give ourselves to you and pray, Lord, that you give us your perspective. In the midst of all the harm that's happening to us, may we have that hope that you are good and that you are holy. We love you and we thank you, Lord, and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.